Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Welcome back to A Millennial Mind. Today, I'm so excited to welcome back one of my favorite guests from the first season, the author of Brave Not Perfect and the CEO of Girls Who Code. I'm so excited to introduce you all to Rashma Sajani. So hi, Rashma. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Yeah, trapped in New York City. Yeah, we're just I, I trapped in New York City, but it's the city that I love, and it's like super retro right now, and it's kind of like yeah. New York in the 1980s. So it's like, you know, I did like an exercise class off of a roof. You know what I mean? It's like there's restaurants that are now like open and like live music everywhere and just artists. So it's fun. Amazing. So for people who didn't listen to the first episode, so anyone who hasn't, you definitely should listen to the first season when we talk to Rashma. But tell us a bit about Brave Not Perfect and how you started this movement. Sure. So um, I was the perfect girl, the perfect Desi immigrant girl who listened to my parents. Um, You know, my parents came here as refugees from Uganda to the United States. And so I, from the time I was little, I would hear their stories. And my dad would always read to me about these amazing trailblazers like Mahatma Gandhi and Eleanor Roosevelt. And so from the time I was little, I knew I wanted to change the world and I wanted to run for office. Mm -hmm. I graduated with like $300,000 in student loan debt. And I did what I was supposed to do, which was go get a job at a fancy law firm, make a lot of money, make my parents proud. But I was miserable inside. And so I finally found the courage to quit and I ran for office. I was the first South Asian woman to run for Congress in the United States. No, all my father thought I was crazy. My mother thought I was crazy. Like, it was just like, you don't do that, right? You don't put yourself out there and run for politics. But it was the best experience of my life because it set me free. Like, it it allowed me to try something. Oh, by the way, I didn't win. Um, and and I didn't even come close. It wasn't even one of those, gosh, you know, next time. It was just like, oof, you got your ass kicked, right? But it was a freeing experience because I realized that failure doesn't have to break me and that you can try something that you've always wanted to do and it not work out and you can live to fight another day. And that was the beginning of me living my life brave, not perfect. And I wrote a book about, you know, being brave, not perfect and have launched a movement and you know, I'm a, I'm a brand ambassador for the life that I'm trying to live, which yeah. is being uh, anti-perfectionist. 
And so many people messaged me after we did the podcast and I know loads of people ordered your book and they, I think the way you describe it in the book is very, I don't know, the way you describe it in the book is so easy to follow and I think applies to everyone. It's not specifically to women. I think it also applies to men too. So I love that about your book. It's so inclusive and yeah, if you haven't ordered it, you definitely should. So today what I want to talk about, and this is something as a personal experience I've experienced and I think a lot of people will relate to this, is the Indian expectation on confrontation. So I think this applies to all cultures, but I think specifically within the Indian culture, and you can definitely back me up on this, is that we avoid confrontation at all costs. It's sweep everything under the rug, don't mention anything, especially if it's going to cause a bit of tension or, you know, you're going to find yourself in a difficult situation where you're going to be having difficult conversations. And what I wanted to explore today is why we do that. So I guess from your experience and from your opinion, why do you think we completely avoid confrontation at all costs? That's such a great question. I don't think that we have been taught to actually talk about our feelings. Like, you know, if you think about it, or, or even I think in many ways, process what's happened to us and learn from it and talk about it. It's, I often say this, like, I feel like I know so little about my parents' lives and what happened yeah. to them and their most dramatic moments. And you know, all the drama, right? I feel like, you know, there'll be like a deathbed confession and, and then I will learn everything. But, you know, even, even like, I don't know about you, but like, I've never seen my parents hug or kiss ever. Right. It's, yes, it's it's a generational thing. thing, Right. Yeah. But you know, for, for, for your mom's mom, right. Forget about it. So I think that it's like, we're kind of taught to like hide our emotions. Right. And so not really show love or anger. Right. So I think almost this, the, the silencing of our emotions is seen on both ends of the emotional spectrum, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, actually, because if I think about my grandparents or people from an older generation or even my, you know, older people in my family, I don't really see them being very affectionate. But at the same time, I really never see them opening up either. And I think within an Indian community, when you're saying, when you're, when you're vulnerable and you're saying, you know, this has really upset me because of this, people are so shocked when you're saying how you're feeling. So I remember when I, I remember when I told people before that I went to therapy, some people were like, wait, what? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying this out loud in public. But surprisingly, when I told my parents, they were like, okay, they they were, they were fine. They're like, how did it go? But I wouldn't feel comfortable to say that in front of a lot of people because they'd be surprised that I was saying something so open and, you know, talking about my feelings so openly to a stranger to them is bizarre. Yeah. 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 It's like, you're not supposed to share too much about yourself. And also, I mean, the, the point about therapy is so interesting, right? I mean, my husband and I, we, you know, go to couples therapy. A, a lot of South, a lot of Indian couples I know do, you know, do uh, do couples therapy because so many of us, we didn't yeah. learn how to communicate with each other because we never saw our parents communicate with each other. We saw our parents fight with one another. We yeah. saw anger, right? But we yeah. never saw dialogue. We never saw conversation so we don't know how to do it and it's almost like we actually have to go and learn from an expert on how to have a conversation when we're upset with one another. and I think what you've just mentioned there about dialogue I think it's so important to distinguish between dialogue and debate and I think the reason why people aren't confrontational and this applies to all cultures is because you see confrontation as a debate as in you and me fighting over one thing it's not me and you together working on a solution But what I think is important, it's important to have healthy 
confrontation because we're so used to seeing on TV in our families with our friends unhealthy confrontation because exactly like what you've just been said we haven't been taught to have a conversation to say this has really upset me did you know that you did that how did you feel the conversation how did you feel it went you know what were your reflections on the situation it's more like you've pissed me off you're an idiot I hate you and that's just natural to us so we avoid it at all costs but people are so like you said not trained and not they don't know how to have that healthy dialogue and so we completely avoid it Look, I admit I watch a lot of Bollywood movies, but there's also there's also like this almost celebration of the martyr, right? And you For see sure. this kind of in the trope of like the mother-in-law, right, and and the, and, and 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 the woman, right? And like you're almost supposed to keep your suffering silent and bear it and take it and bear it and take it till this one moment where you lose it and you blow up and there's a massive fight, right? And then exactly. the music comes and everybody kind of comes together. So I think that we've, we've, we've been taught, too, to be these martyrs, right, where you should almost accept your suffering and bear it and take it. And to have dialogue about that, to have discussion about that would have to also, would, would like, stop, would enable you from being, not enable you to be a martyr. And I think that's so much of what it means to be desi, right, is to be a martyr. Like you said, that's in a movie. In real life, what actually happens, and I've seen this happen so much, is with a mother-in-law and their daughter-in-law or with parents or with friends, you build it up and build it up and build it up because you don't say it because you're afraid. And then you blow up and you never speak again. And you've damaged your relationship so much and it impacts everyone else around you and it impacts your children and it impacts your family and it impacts your friends. And actually, it's the worst thing that can happen because how I look at it is there's so many different sides to one story you know someone will be having an argument and i'll think completely differently from how they're thinking and if we haven't communicated how we're each feeling then we'll never be able to understand each other's points and we'll never be able to grow we'll never be able to work together as a team to repair that friendship relationship or whatever it is and for me i think it's the saddest thing is that we've been taught to not be confrontational and then we've been taught to just deal with it and then deal with the bitchiness and then deal with the gossip and deal with this burdening relationship in your life that you've never been able to talk about and then it's too late because once you've got a build-up of a hundred things where do you start when you've like completely ruined that relationship when you want to repair it like where do you begin because there's one thing after the other and actually how I look at it is if you deal with that one thing at the first time and it comes up again multiple times, you know that there's something fundamentally wrong in that relationship and either you move away from that person, but you have a common understanding why you have because your personalities don't work or you find a way to communicate with that person and then you have a great relationship with them. I don't understand why we've been taught to not speak up and say anything out of this fear of being not liked. And I think that's the core of it is we've been taught to be these good Indian girls who don't say anything. And, you know, I was always the one that would say stuff. So I'm always being labeled as like the, the, what's the word? Um, you know, the outspoken one. My, you know, my parents will say, you know, Shivani's a bit outspoken. I'm like, I'm not outspoken. I'm just honest. If I believe and I care about you, then I'm going to say something because I don't want us to ever be in that position where I, I'm bitching about you behind your back and I hate you so much and I'm doing things because I have to. Yeah, it's so it's so wise and powerful what you're saying about this kind of building up of grievances till it gets so bad. And it's almost like culturally we've been taught that it's better to just walk away at the end and not in like yeah. you know, not have a relationship than to actually like deal with these grievances as they 
as they happen. And we, we have not been taught to do I mean, I am definitely, you know, uh, guilty, right, of the, you know, the grudge holder, right? And like, I bear and grit, I bear and grit and bear and grit. And then I'm like, oh, I'm done. And it's funny. Yeah. And I think that I'm more like that in my my family relationships and not, I'm not like that at all in my friend relationships. I think it's more, and you talk about this in your book and I, and I love it is that you say, we have this fear of always wanting to be liked and therefore we don't say what we're really feeling. So I'll give you an example at the moment. I think with everything that's going on with COVID, you know, people, the rules are so, you know, all over the place, especially here in the UK that you kind of have to think for yourself. And I know loads of people have got into fights or they haven't said anything or they've really just distanced themselves from their friends because they don't feel they're being responsible. In that situation, I think it's quite difficult because you know everyone has a different opinion about things. But ultimately, I think deep down, everyone knows what's right and wrong. You know, People know what the right thing is to do and you should do that. And I know so many people that don't say things to their friends and their family because they don't believe, they don't wanna, They don't want to be seen as someone who's, you know, a troublemaker or they don't want to be seen as like a goody two-shoes. And actually, I think when you take it away from that and you look at the higher purpose is what is it that I'm passionate about? I'm passionate about safety. I want to make sure that you're being safe. And then you feel that that person is not doing that because you're so afraid to have that conversation that could actually benefit them. They probably haven't even considered it or, you know, they're ignoring it and they need someone to push them up why are we so afraid to have those conversations and I struggle with this so much because I have been someone that's always wanted to say how they're feeling and always been wanting to say things to people when I think they're wrong because I think if you don't say something you're a bystander in that situation you're just as bad as the oppressor as people say you know there were so many people in terms of the Black Lives Matter things that didn't stand up and have those conversations and it's so important to do that but because of our fear of being light we did yeah, you're right. And it's so true. It's like, and I think this kind of idea of like the COVID police, right? I, I'm kind of that person too. Like yeah. I'm a rule follower, right? And so, and I understand that there's a lot of gray, but you're right. And I think you wonder like, could we get out of this epidemic much faster if we were a lot more yeah. honest with one another and held each other accountable? And it didn't feel like judgment, but just like, hey, maybe you shouldn't, you know what I mean? Go have a 10 person yeah. event and maybe everyone should wear their mask or maybe we shouldn't be hugging or, you know, and so yeah. I think that that's, that's a really, really important. And I think it is about being liked and it is about yeah. not wanting to feel like somebody is like judging you or thinking poorly of you. Uh, that really, 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 I think stops us in many ways from making the most healthiest um, choices. I mean, I think your point about like, I too am also that person of like, I always tell you what I think. I also think it's freeing. You know, I I don't know if you feel that way, right? It's like, then you're not holding on to it. And you're like, I I wish I said that. Or it's just, you you just said it. It's out there. And also, you just have no regrets. And I just think that if we all choose to live a little bit more consciously in situations like that, you're not... I don't feel them bad if I don't speak to that person or, you know, I, I distance myself away from them because I haven't kind of done it blindly. They are fully aware. I'm fully aware. There's no bitterness. There's not that gossipy, bitchy tone between you. But going back to, going back to the notion of being liked, and you talk about this in your book and you say in the prehistoric days, being liked was so important because it was about, you know, you being it's a matter of being alive or dead because you were part of your clan and if your clan didn't like you and support you they would they wouldn't make sure that you were alive and so I think in terms of that it's so within us to be liked and you also talk about people pleasing and why it's so 
you know, comment, especially now where we are always on social media, there's so much access to everyone, everybody knows everyone, that if one person doesn't like you, it's likely to spread a bad message. And I want to explore a bit more about why we're people pleasers and how we can move away from that. I mean, I do think it's just, I think especially as women, like I wonder, some, I think men are, are do care what people think, but they don't voice it as much as we have been you know, uh, allowed to voice it. And I think it's just, you know, again, from being a little girl and, you know, wanting to be accepted and be the popular girl and wanting to be the one that everybody wants to hang out with. It's like in all of the, you know, examples that we have in media and film and movies about being cool. I mean, from the mean girls on, right? So all of that is rooted in likeness and being liked and people wanting to be around you. Like that is seen as an attribute or a characteristic that is attractive. And I think that kind of behavior extends to, you know, again, being an attractive person that guys like and want to date and want to be with. And, and I think later it's, it's like, you know, being the mom in the schoolyard that, yeah. you know, everybody is buzzing around. I mean, it just, it really never ends, right? Yeah. It's, it, it really, really never ends. I do think, you know, most recently, like I think about Cardi B and this like idea of like no Fs given, like we have a lot of role models of women who just, the brand is about not caring what people yeah. think. And that is kind of very, um, you know, very in right now, but I don't know if they really do because I think yeah. from a, from and you think about social media, like we are trained the like function, right? We yeah. are trained to actually be, be wired to care about what other people think. You know, one of the things I find so fascinating about Instagram in this moment now that I've just been noticing a lot is, you know, back pre COVID it was show your most beautiful picture show your glamorous life, show your aspirational life. Now it's like, show your pain. So I know a lot of people that see their family on the weekends that are doing something fun with their kids that are experiencing joy, but now there's shame in showing joy. Yes. And you almost have to show a life that you're actually not living, which is like dull and depressing Mm -hmm. and sad because you're worried that people won't like you if you're having fun. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's so- Yeah, I never thought about it like that. That's so true. But again, that is completely, that behavior is completely driven by wanting to be liked. I, if I go see my parents, I would don't want to post it because if I post yeah. it, people are going, well, I didn't get to see my parents, right? And yeah. I'm suddenly not going to be liked. And yeah. so all of our behavior is conditioned around being liked or not liked. And I think it's really different for men because just going back to the confrontation issue, when I think women are more confrontational, they are seen to be difficult, they are seen to be outspoken, they seem to be loud. And, you know, especially within an Indian community, you'll hear so many aunties, you know, saying, you know, she, she really does talk a lot though, or, you know, she's a bit argumentative and that's how they perceive you. When you see a man being confrontational, it's like, wow, he's so manly and he's so authoritative and he's so powerful and he's so great. And, you know, you know, when somebody isn't confrontational as a man, it's like he's a wimp, he's a woman. And I find that so difficult as a concept to understand because what I think people confuse confrontation with, like we've said before, is aggression. You know, being confrontational doesn't necessarily mean you have to be aggressive. And actually, I think when men are aggressive, it doesn't really achieve anything. It's just a power power struggle between a man and a woman, which is why the woman is always seen to be the argumentative one and the difficult one, because she's bringing out this side apparently in a man that he's getting aggressive. So 
especially in Indian culture, if you disagree with something and you voice that opinion, there is a lot of judgment that's cast upon you for doing so. You know, even with this podcast, I think somebody once said, well, you're going to find it hard to get married now because, you know, you're talking about all these difficult things. I was like, just wait for season two. It's going to be even worse. (laughs) Well, because you're you're operating out of gender norms, right? Allegedly. So when you're aggressive or assertive or authentic, um, you're suddenly not appealing because you're acting out of your gender norm. And I think that that's the problem is that we've caricatured. And that's what I always say, like, we don't like strong women. We don't find yeah, them yeah. attractive. And so many of us shrink ourselves to in, being in the mold of what we think women should behave like. And that's a shame. And that, that, I actually think we need to go in the opposite direction and show who we are and change those gender norms. I think culturally that's even harder, right? Because we have stereotypes of how, you know, South Asian women, Indian women should behave and be and act and perceive. And, you know, again, you grit and you bear it. You say, please and thank you. You give everybody food and bunny and like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's what you do. And, you know, you, you don't, you don't go out of those boundaries. Definitely. And so when you see somebody that's causing an issue or you know if we see somebody that's being confrontational we naturally assume that somebody's causing an issue and that they're being difficult and we very like we very rarely say oh you know she really cares about us and she wants us to be better she wants us to grow she wants us to have a healthy relationship and this is what I say to a lot of my friends who live with their in-laws when they're having difficulties and it's something that I've, I, don't, I don't have in-laws and nor have I ever lived with them But how I imagine it to be is if I ever were to, there would always be a conversation up front to say, how do you work? What are the things you like? What are the things you don't like? And that is such a scary conversation to have. And people always look at me like, you're a weirdo. You're never, no one ever does that. And I'm like, if you create that boundary in the beginning and you have that conversation, it's, it's just a healthy dialogue. And, you know, talking about going back to your book, it's about being brave. You know, no one is perfect. No one is going to go and have that conversation up front but it, if you have one argument with somebody and you say okay I know you didn't like that what else do you not like or you know what else do you find uncomfortable you can come to a solution to find a way to work together and to avoid what we talked about is having this build-up of resentment and resentment because what I've seen is in most Indian families people have a lot of resentment towards another and that's like in every Indian family there'll always be somebody gossiping about the other person and it's almost like why are you doing that just say the issue and it's because 20 years ago they're still talking 20, from 20 years ago they're still talking about the same issue so they can't bring it up because they've never found a way to have a conversation about it and for me it's just a waste of time it's a waste of energy and I just think there's such an easy solution to make sure that that never happens is and I think part of it is like I think recognizing though that like for a lot of people they just never saw that behavior nobody modeled it for them so like yeah. if you were about you know it's it's and if you think about the in-law thing right that's just like the way you've seen that relationship unfold and so then you fall into that trap even though yeah. you know, you're 10 you know generations away from it but part of it is is about almost like I feel like Indian parents need like a playbook of like how to express their emotions and you know how like it's it's funny I mean anytime that I've ever confronted my mom or my dad they're almost like weirded out right like what are you doing like or what are you talking about like we're like because I think we're they're just much more comfortable going from zero to a hundred or ignoring it 
You know what I mean? Which is their other favorite thing, right? This didn't happen. We don't yeah. need to talk about this. What are you talking about? Like, I'm not mad, right? And they don't know how to have, like, I just, I, I laugh about like, I don't even know how that could happen, you know, which is like know. Know, having that kind of really like deep conversation of like, how did you feel about that? You know, it's funny. I recently, um, uh, about a year ago, I got someone to, I wanted to, I wanted to know everything about my, my parents and my dad and their yeah. life and how they grew up and the things that they experienced. And I knew that if I sat down and I asked him, he would tell me 10% of it. So I hired somebody who went and uh, interviewed my dad for days and uh, on tapes and I wasn't there. Of course, my mother was like, I'm not gonna participate, right? I don't even, <laughs> of course, right? If you know my mom a little bit. Um, and so I'm saving them. I haven't listened to them yet. But Amazing. I think that how crazy is that, that the only way that I was really going to know about my father's life and his struggles yeah. and his pain and his insecurity is if someone, a third party went and asked him. And mm. so that's like, you know, that's wild. Like, I think we have a lot of work to do as a community to get to a place that's where nice. like we can be like that. Cause I don't want to be like that with my kids. No, not at all. And I think, you know, I learned about this concept called cooking conflict and what that essentially said was why we should cook conflict why we should bring it up in the workplace why we should bring it up at home and it's to really explore the way different people think and to have these paradoxical ideas and to really understand how multiple people think at the same time and you know just thinking about that i learned about that probably four years ago when i did my postgraduate diploma and how i used to have an, when i had an argument with my dad or my mom genuinely we live in the same house but i would email them because i would think if i email you you can read it at work and then you can come home we wouldn't talk about it ever yeah. it was an email back so we would email now that went on and it's really funny sometimes i just see my dad's name or my mom's name and i read our emails and i just think oh my god what were we doing why on earth as a 20 year old girl was i not able to talk to my parents i had to email them but now it's really changed. And I think this is so relevant to your book. It's about being brave. So if you feel you wanna be brave, if, no, sorry. If you feel that you're in confrontation with somebody, somebody and you don't feel comfortable having that conversation in person because it's so tough and really hard, then start with something small. Start with an email. Start with something that you know, you're not gonna be speaking to them directly. You're not gonna see their reaction. You're not gonna see them cry or shout or whatever or scream and allow them to process that. And that's what I did is like started off with an email. And now whenever I feel that we have an argument, I just say, guys, this is weird. I don't wanna be in this situation with you. I love you, let's talk about it. And starting off from a vulnerable position, I think is changes everything. When you start and say, I think you're being completely out of order. I don't really care, I'm gonna go. It's completely different for me saying, I, I appreciate that that was really heated. I'm really sorry, I don't want our relationship to end up like this. This is the consequence of our relationship ending up like this if we don't talk about it. So let's speak about it. And now I have such a healthy relationship with my family and my friends because I'm able to have that. And you know what's amazing is that people really appreciate that and they love it that I will always say, hey, this is really upsetting me. You know, this is something that really upset me. They're like, I know where I stand with you. I know where if, if you're upset, I know if you're happy, I know if you're mad. And I never have to feel on edge and nor do I have to feel that, you know, we don't have a relationship where we can grow together. And I think that's the most important when we're talking about this is that 
remember that it's not necessarily about you being argumentative or getting your point across or you know a, a, you know an, an argument that's going to be right or wrong because when you have an argument there is no right and wrong it's two people needing to talk and it should be a win-win situation it shouldn't be an argument where one person's right and one person's wrong so having that objective is important so if you get into an argument do you say to them hey can we sit down do you go into the living room like how does it work now i'm very curious okay so with my parents so what happens is generally we'll have an argument and then we won't speak so everyone will ignore each other and then I will, it will get to a point where I feel like I'm just really uncomfortable, but now it's very quick. Now I just do it on the day. I'm like, you've really upset me. Do you want to talk about it today? And either they'll say yes or no, or they'll say, yeah. And I'll be like, so let's talk about it. And then I always say, you know, there's, I guess at the end, I'm always like, see how I always want to talk about it. And you never want to talk about it. I say that at the end, but in the beginning, I'm like, look, I really love you. And I don't want us to end up where I don't have an amazing relationship with you because for me it's so important to have a great relationship with you and just by doing that I think it breaks down a wall with someone and that's what happened with my friends too you know where I feel that I'm not really bothered about the friendship I don't say anything because I think in order for you to have a healthy confrontation you need to really care about that person and you need to be really invested in having a calm conversation when you feel like it's a lose-lose for both of you and you're both gonna be really aggressive, there's nothing to, there's no goal, then there's no need to argue because there's no point in putting your point across to somebody who doesn't wanna listen. And I think, like I said, it's important to have that first five, six, whatever your boundary is. I wouldn't recommend that the first time you have an argument with someone because you don't know how they're gonna react. But if you've had an argument with someone five, six times and it's always gone, in a way where you know you don't feel like you've got it off your chest and you don't feel anything's changed and you feel the other person doesn't listen to you, then I think it's then time to reassess as what's more important to me. But I think in terms of my family, I've come to a place, and my friends, I've come to a place where I feel like it's not awkward anymore. It's just like, you really upset me about that, should we talk about it? Rather than sending an email, putting my hat on in my room, hiding under my covers and being like, no, don't talk to me. That's so cool. It's like they're expecting you to to do that. And so you actually create the space and the place to do it. Sure. And that's powerful. I also think one of the things that's so important to being able to ha- do confrontation, which is something I struggle with, is being able to listen. You know, as a lawyer, I'm like, I'm like thinking about my argument and my debate and like, I like to win. <laughs> And so I'm really bad at like listening and I, and and I almost need to like sit on my hands and like, like, okay, I'm not going to say anything. And I think that's also really hard. Right. When I'm trying so hard not to speak as you're speaking. I'm like, I agree with you. I study law too. And like, you're always taught to like have a defense. There's a loophole and everything. There's always a counter argument. And so it's really tough when you're trying to listen and understand and to, you know, I read, I, I think you would have read it, but Covey's, but Stephen Covey's book, and he says, first, always seek to understand and then to be understood. And that is so powerful for me because we don't ever want to understand. We just want to be understood. You know, I am so bad at this. I always just want to say my point. And I'm always like, I get it. But from my perspective, like I, I, I'm with you 100%, but from me, you know, and what it's, it's not productive. And so now I really have to honestly be like, this is the torch you speak and I speak because I, I, I always speak over people. It's a terrible habit. I need to work on it. Yeah. And it's also this idea of I've also, the truth always lies somewhere in the middle, right? It's like, you know, my, people can always experience the same event and have completely different perception, different takeaways, right? On like what happened. 
And I've been trying to kind of remind myself that often because I think I always think that I'm someone who has really good read on people. And so like if I don't like your vibe or your energy or I think you're off, like it's it's like I'm immediately ascribing a lot of you know ill will and bad behavior right to some of the things that you're doing without seeing any you know any, anything that could be a different interpretation of why you may have done that and so i know i need to always watch myself in that but also i think growing you know being in the united states right now where the country is so divisive i've been really saying to myself like i don't want to not be friends with somebody because they don't have my same political point of view like i want to actually learn how to uh be better at conflict, you know, how to yes. do and, and how to be a better listener and how to meet people in the middle. For me, being confrontational is something that I think we have to practice. And I think it links so closely with what you talk about in your book about being brave and practicing your bravery muscle. What I want to share with everyone who's listening and watching this right now is how do we be more brave? How do we do things? How do we do more of the things that we don't want to do? So I think it's a constant practice. Like, I think there's a perception that like, oh, I'm, you know, you're born brave or, you know, you become brave and then you're done. And I, that's just not true, right? It's like a constant practice to build yeah. what I call your bravery muscle. So, you know, that means that you, if you're someone who has difficulty saying no, you have to constantly practice saying no. Like if you're someone who is always does everything perfectly and you read your emails a hundred times before you send it, you have to get in the practice of like sending that email with a typo in it. You know, if you're a people pleaser. Yeah. So it's, so to me, it's about constantly building that muscle. So it almost becomes second nature that you're going to like, when a situation comes your way, that you're going to react to it that way. Definitely. And in terms of confrontation, how would you think we should have, how do you think we can have more healthy confrontation and shift the focus from discussion rather than a debate? So I think that, again, it's, it's when something happens that is sitting with you, right? Whether it's a conversation with a colleague or a parent or a partner or a spouse, and you know it's bothering you, I think you have to get into the practice, like you said, of like, hey, I love you. I'm upset. Can we talk about it? And I love the way that you teed it up because I think that's a nice way and, and, and know that I'm coming from a place that I want to make our relationship better and stronger. And, and I think it's like, if you can get yourself in the habit that at least like every other confrontation, right, you're going to try to address it rather than let it sit with you. I think that's a good goal. And I think it's so important to do that because if you don't address it with that person, you're almost assuming that they know what you're what you're upset about, you know. And you know, a lot of people say it's better to not say anything. It's better to not say anything. But that behavior continues again and again and again. And that person is completely unaware. So you know, we're talking about really explicit confrontation where you know two people have gone into a really big argument and they know what they're doing wrong. But often, you know, people do things wrong all the time and they are completely unaware you know if I ask people all the time you know what have I done they would be like well you did this this and this and if it's really important to them then they would have voiced it but if they sometimes think it's really important to them but they don't really care about our friendship or relationship then they perhaps will hold it in but that doesn't give me an opportunity to change it doesn't give me an opportunity to recognize the things that I've done wrong and it doesn't give me an opportunity to grow and that's why confrontation is so important to me because I think allowing yourself to be vulnerable and push your own emotions aside and allowing yourself to, like I said, for a greater good, express how you're feeling is so powerful. I also think, and I think, no, sorry. Now I interrupted you. Go ahead. 
no, 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 go I'm ahead. Listen. No, 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 no. I think you know. Continue what you were going to say because I was just building on that. I forgot what I was going to say now. Oh gosh. Um, the other thing, I don't know if you feel this way, but then I easily get turned off people when I don't do confrontation, right? When I let it like just build okay. up, then after a certain moment, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to be friends with you, right? Or I don't know if I want to like maintain yes. this yes. relationship and that's not good. Definitely. And I, something I talked about in my previous podcast is, you know, if I, I do have a bad temper and I've mentioned this on all my podcasts and I'm someone who's quite emotional. So when something happens... I don't respond with, I love you, I want to work this out. I have to take that time aside and it's really helped me to do that because then the next day I've thought about what am I going to gain from this confrontation versus what am I going to lose? And I'm going to lose so much more than what I'm going to gain. So having that time to process what's happened and not reacting so quickly, I think is also something that's really important when you want to confront somebody because you need the time to process also what you've done wrong. Because often I think when you have a conversation straight away and you confront someone in that moment, you're not recognizing your part to play in having this disagreement. So essentially you're completely oblivious to how the other person is feeling. Whilst I think when you come from a place of saying, yeah, okay, this is how I was feeling and the other person says, yeah, you were like that. You're more willing to accept it because you've acknowledged it yourself and you've had the time to do that too. I also think you're probably like me is I'm a really good fighter. Like I will win, I got good one-liners. I know exactly where to like knife you. You know what I mean? Like my sister always (laughs) says that to me, like I know where to go. And, and so when you have that kind of power too, it's even more important for you to walk away. Right. Because in your anger, you will use it. Uh, And sometimes that's that people don't get over that, you know, and I've learned that. Yeah, and how you said in terms of like the lawyer mindset, we were trained to be really quick on your feet, have an argument ready. So when someone's talking to me and they're saying this and this, I've already preempted everything they're going to say. And I'm already like, yep, this, 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 and giving them every counter argument. And it's, it's so unproductive because at the end of it, it's just like, okay, so what do you want to do now? We want to move on or we want to carry on arguing? And all the time in my previous, previously when this has happened to me, it's never worked out in that friendship, relationship, whatever it is, because... We get so tired of arguing that we're just like, let's just forget it. I can't be bothered. And then the same problem happens over and over again. And another thing I think is really important is to talk about your problems and to confront your issues when you're in a good mood. And I used to be really against this before. I used to think, why when I'm having a great time with you, I'm in a good mood with you when everything is great, why would I then bring something up? And often when you're so upset or emotional, you just want to move past the issue. Nobody likes to be in an argument with somebody or in a disagreement or in an uncomfortable situation with somebody. But when it's happened, let's say a week later or a few days later when you're in a better mood, you can work together to say, next time this happens, how should we confront each other? How should we have this dialogue between each other? How do we discuss our problems? And it's so much healthier to do that when you're in a more positive space, when you're in a safer space and when you're happier. So that's another thing I think is so important when you're confrontational is to do it and when you're in a good space with that person. I love that because it's almost counterintuitive a little bit, right? It's like you think that like if you're angry, I got to deal with it now. And I think giving it a little bit of time and space, you're going to have a better conversation. You're going to have a healthier conversation. I think that's really good advice. Definitely. And so before we close today, I'm going to ask all my guests this question. What, how would you like to change the Indian expectation on confrontation? I think I would like to just have confrontation. 
Look, Just this is speak. a personal, um, like, you know, when you go to these seminars and these workshops and they're like, you know, what's the one thing that you wish that you could do? Honestly, the number one thing is always, I always write down is confrontation with my parents. You know what really? I mean? Yeah, because I think that like I, you have, you sound like you have this amazing relationship with your parents in terms of confrontation they upset you yeah. you sit down that's very aspirational for me and I think it's very aspirational for a lot of people of my generation with their parents because we just don't have this and I wonder what like the world would be like right um for both them and for us if you got if if we were able to really do that and say the things that we want to say with one to one another ask the it's not just even say the thing it's almost like ask the questions right yeah. and get to like why I'm a big person of like well why would someone do that what's their motivation what's driving that I'm like very big into like I'm, that's always where I go and so there's a lot of questions I have right of 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 about my parents that like, yeah. they're the only people in my life that I've never been able to really have the courage to ask. And it's, it is where I don't have bravery. Um, because I think that again, like it's almost like, I don't know, it's like in, in, in our culture, it's like, it's, it's almost like a, like, like even when you hug your parents, you feel weird, right? Like, ugh, right. It's yeah. like, and that's just in, in having those kind of heart to heart conversations feel uncomfortable. But I also think, that being confrontational with your parents is seen as disrespectful. And so we avoid it because we're always told you're not respectful if you're talking back to your mom or your dad. And maybe that's why we're so afraid to have these conversations because if we do that, we're seen as bad children or not good girls. And that's what we've been brought, taught to be. Yeah, or we don't wanna make them feel bad. Like, you know, if you told your parents your truth, with some of that is some criticism and some judgment, right? And, yeah. you know, you, you think, okay, wait, they're 75 years old. Like, do I want to, you know, is that what I want to do right now? Or just let it go. And I think the problem is, is that you normally, people normally choose to let it go. Like, I bet you are parents, my parents. There's probably so much left unsaid, you know what I mean, sure. to their parents. So much left unsaid. And then they carry it with them into their next relationship. And we are going to do the same thing. You know, you, you may not. But I do think yes. that you're you're a rarity, um, and there's something about what you've been able to do that is that is powerful and exceptional, and I think it can be taught. Um, yes, I agree. I do think it can be um, taught. I think it's just yeah, really, it's really, really like like it's like the the courage of the century, you know, what I mean? <laughs> to be able to go. But do it really, it really is, Rashman. What you talk about, it's about being brave that one time, and once you're brave once, you're brave multiple times. So. I'm not joking. We probably sent emails to each other for four, five years until one day, probably someone was at home and I couldn't send the email and I had to go downstairs and have that conversation. That's probably what happened. But, you know, with different people, you get to that, you get to that level at different places. With my friends, I don't have to send them emails. I just talk to them and tell them, but it's on the phone at the first time. Then the second time maybe in person. But, you know, it's about taking those small steps and doing those small things one at a time. And you talk about this so much when you say, just practice, you know, get into the practice of doing things you feel uncomfortable with, 
pick something that you've never done before that you've always been afraid like I remember when I came to New York and you were doing your handstand challenge and you were like I've never done it before I'm going to do a handstand or you know all these things or singing karaoke that you talk about in your podcast there's so many things that you feel uncomfortable doing the first time maybe the first 20 times but on the 21st time it's going to be routine and I think it's always about having that higher purpose and looking at that end goal and always communicating that end goal with somebody to say I care about you and I only want to be confrontational because I want us to have a healthy relationship. And for me, that's the that's the crucial point about it. Yeah. So as you're talking, it reminds me, I always say that one of the reasons why I believe in bravery so much is like, I don't want to live a life of regrets. I think that like yes. so much of what kind of kills us inside is like regret and envy. And I do think that for a lot of people, especially in their relationships with their parents, probably more so than even spouses or friends or children is there's so much left unsaid, so much that you yeah. hold. And, you know, there's, there's then a lot of regret if you're never able to say that. So I think I will take on this challenge. And I hope everyone's listening is, is like the next time there's a conversation, yes. I will address it. I'm excited to hear how you confront your parents. And I'm, maybe you start with the email. Maybe you forward, maybe you forward, forward on it. Let's see. hundred percent be an email. Okay. Let's be honest. Well, I've honestly had for sure and I've honestly had such a great time talking to you every time we speak I feel like I learn something new and I'm sure everyone will too so I will, so I will see you soon and thank you so much for coming see on. you soon thanks for having me what a great conversation bye bye, bye.